This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network, sponsored by Soundring. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. This Friday, your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley! It's anger! Let me at him! Fear! Safety checklist is complete! Disgust! Ew! Ew! Sadness is in the house! Oh no! Hello! I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going! Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters Friday. Get tickets now. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Welcome to Lead Singer Syndrome. I am your host as always, Shane Told, and thank you for joining us for now the fourth installment of the new podcast. Today I sit down with Stephen Christian, formerly of Amberlynn, and we have a great conversation. I've known Stephen actually for quite a while, since 2003. Uh, I talk about a little bit in the interview. We were playing this festival, Furnace Fest, down in Alabama, and uh, it was kind of for Silverstein, it was the first big festival we'd ever played and hum was playing and taking back sunday and andrew wk and it was this huge thing and what i remember most about it is they had all the merch tables under this it was like a highway overpass kind of thing as i recall and they had all the tables under there and it started raining and the the overpass leaked all this water and everyone's stuff got soaked except ours <laughs> we felt like the boat in forest gump uh the last boat standing and everyone was coming over trying to get dry merch from us and i remember we had a very good merch day that's when i first met steven christian from amberlin and uh we've been you know in and out of touch ever since but it was really great to catch up uh and this interview was just so eye-opening about what they went through as a band what he went through personally and his personality is just so interesting and he talks about being introverted and he talks about all this it's just really fascinating interview and uh probably my favorite one i've done so far once again i want to thank everybody for listening and all the feedback has been so cool um i love people actually using the hate line now i like this 657-666-HATE. Give me a call, leave a message. Uh, I'm sure we'll do an all hate line episode at some point. So if you want if you want to get on there, please uh, give me a ring. And if you like the show, if you got ideas for guests, whatever you got, please just hit me up, leadsingersyndrome at gmail.com. Now, I got to talk about soundrink.com. They're sponsoring the show. And I love talking about them because they do all the VIP ticketing for Silverstein. And right now we're out with Census Fail. It's a great tour. Uh, we're just coming up Florida now. Uh, we're going to be coming up the East Coast. So it's going to be uh, a prime time. I mean, it's going to be some of the great shows. So please um, go to soundrink.com. Uh, check out 
the VIP packages, there's regular ticket links. If you, you know, don't want to meet us in census fail, but if you do, uh, there's some great merch items, all that stuff. We also have stay warm festival coming up, uh, in Toronto, which is going to be awesome. That's on sound rink. And we have just announced a Canadian tour also. So just pretty much just go to SoundRink.com. It's got all your bases covered, whole bunch of other tours in your area coming up. So check that out as well. And before we jump into it with Steven, there's one more thing I got to tell you about. Kings Road Merch is sponsoring this episode, and they actually run the official merch store for a band we actually talk about in the interview. They're called The Descendants. And if you don't know who The Descendants are, you probably should get on that. They're one of the most legendary punk rock bands. I mean, they're pretty much responsible for pop punk, uh, ex- even existing. Um, and right now, if you go to Kings Road Merch, they're running an awesome holiday sale for the Descendants where you can get everything from t-shirts to hoodies. They have a holiday sweater up there. Uh, so right now, if you go there and order both holiday sweaters, you can get 10% off your entire order. Also, uh, they've released uh, a video called Filmage, which is basically the documentary of their career, the Descendants and all. And uh, you can check that as well. There's a, there's a new Blu-ray DVD out. Um, it's got bonus content, all this stuff. So go there, check out kingsroadmerch.com slash D-E-S-C. That's kingsroadmerch.com slash D-E-S-C. And check out all that stuff from The Descendants. Awesome band, one of my favorite bands of all time. All right, let's get to it. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Stephen Christian, formerly of Amberlynn. Welcome to Lead Singer Syndrome. I'm here with uh, my very, very old friend, Stephen Christian, formerly of Anne Berlin. How are you doing today, man? Very good. Very good. I'm here in Corrales, New Mexico, and uh, winter is setting in, and I'm enjoying every second of it. It's a nice, it's a nice right. change. Well, you're a Florida dude, aren't yeah, you? Yeah, originally. So how, uh, how do you like the, the winters? Um, you know, I like it a lot because it's way, you know, it's different than what, you know, than what I grew up with. So I enjoy it in that aspect. You know, I mean, obviously like I, well, I mean, here in New Mexico, I live in the desert. So that's, that's, that's awesome. You know, um, and then there's mountains. I think that's the big kicker is the fact that there's mountains and that's something obviously. I love mountains. We just never had that. I live in Toronto. I live in Toronto and, you know, Canada, I'm sure, you know, you've been across Canada many times with uh, your band and your projects, but um, the part of Canada we live, we don't have any mountains. It's very flat. So whenever I'm traveling, like, yeah, like in New Mexico or like anywhere on the West Coast, um, I'm always like, man, it's so beautiful. And like, I would just love to wake up every day and see a mountain. And I think people that live out there really do take it for granted. I agree. I agree. You know, because I'm still mesmerized by it. that's That's amazing. So obviously you've experienced cold weather before, uh, touring with Anne Berlin, you know, for so many years, but that must've been pretty weird initially when you left Florida and you know, you're like stuck in Michigan or something and it's like minus 20. How was that for you? Yeah, that's crazy. I think the, I think the worst kind of shock of my life was Winnipeg in January. (laughs) It was negative 15 and I, I couldn't even, I, I just, I just couldn't fathom 
how people still live in Winnipeg. You know, like <laughs> maybe they're just used to it. They're born into it or something. But I was I don't know. I mean, it's it, Winnipeg is like way even way colder than Toronto, you know. Um we'll have like it'll get down to minus 20 here for, you know, like a couple weeks maybe a year. Right. Um and I mean, I'm not a winter dude. Like I I can't handle it. Um I don't know why. You know, I'm used to it obviously, yeah. but like Every time I'm anywhere, you know, in those like Southern United States, I'm like, man, this is like a dream, you know, like the amount of time I've spent in my life, um, shoveling driveways, you know, when I could be like reading books and learning, Yeah, <laughs> you know, I, I mean, uh, yeah. uh, it seems like a bit of a waste of time. It's like, why do we live here? I agree. <laughs> I, I agree. I, <laughs> I mean, I, trust me, I love Canada. Vancouver's awesome. Toronto's awesome. There's some great places, but, uh, Kelowna, my, so I have some family in Kelowna, but I just... I can't oh, do it. There, I yeah. couldn't. I could never do it, man. You guys are, you guys are much more like no, you know, uh, obviously like more. I don't want to say barbaric, but more like husky. You got to be. You got to have like full. You got to be a man of character to live in Canada. I think. <laughs> I think so. You know, yeah. A little more gumption well, than the rest of us. <laughs> Maybe. Um, so, uh, how did you end up in uh, in Albuquerque? Wow. You're just a big Breaking Bad yeah, fan, huge or Breaking uh... Bad fan. So I was like, oh man, I want to sell meth. Um, <laughs> so I moved. Uh, no, it wasn't even. It wasn't like that. It was, you know, I had I had explored a lot of different options in Nashville, and just nothing felt right. So I I had some friends out here that worked at a at a, at a great church called Calvary, and they offered me an incredible position, and I just. I just wanted to change and I just wanted to, uh, yeah, just try new things musically. And so for me, this was a, like absolutely out of the ordinary from Nashville. That's, that's an understatement. So, cause you were, you were in Nashville, you were working on like writing songs. You had like a yeah, publishing yeah. thing going on. Yeah, and I'm still doing all that. I'm still writing and all that from here. It's just, you know, it's a little bit, you know, now that, uh, now I kind of am, it, you know, I call it the great hustle. Nashville is the great hustle for me because like, Nobody there has just one job. You know, if you're a songwriter, you're probably working at Starbucks. If you're an artist, uh-huh. you're probably at working at a bar. You know, like whatever the case might be, you know, you've got a second or third or even fourth job. So um, I just kind of wanted to take a little break from that because my whole life had been a giant hustle. And um, in a positive, I mean, I don't, I, I don't mean that in a negative connotation. I love to hustle. I mean, I think it's in some people's DNA. Um, it's just how they were built. Yeah. And so I loved it, but I kind of just wanted a little break. You know, I had been on the road, obviously, for, you know, at that point last year. We were on the road for like, you know, right over eight months of, the, of that last year. And it was just kind of like, ah, oh, man, I just want a little break. And for me, the desert kind of represented that kind of life. And so I was excited to try something new. And and when you finally, you know, obviously we're going to talk a lot about Anne Berlin and your career and every all the amazing, you know, things that happened to you. Uh, there's so much interesting tough stuff to talk about. But I mean, right now where you stand, I mean, you guys were pretty much a full time touring band, you know, at least eight months of the year for like, what, 13 years or something? Yeah, 12 years. Yeah. 12 years. So, I mean, when that all stopped and that came to kind of like a screeching halt, um, how difficult was that for you? No, not at all. I mean, I was, I oh, was, okay. I was literally exhausted. You know, there was, I mean, the last few weeks in, in, um, you know, of the tour to be, to be, to be brutally honest, I, I was ready to go home. I could have cared less if we would have done the other, the other shows. Um, the only thing that kept me going to the next show was knowing that if I didn't show up, if I somehow quit, which I would never have done even just for the since the sake of the other guys in the band. But I knew that if yeah. I didn't give a hundred percent, I was letting down fans, and they were always 
the driving force of the band for me. And so I, I knew like if I was just threw up my hands and said, forget it, guys, we have a month left, but I am exhausted, like mentally, like, you know, I, my body was like shutting down. You know, I would sleep for like just 12 right. hours a day, but the mental fatigue and the physical fatigue of it all, you know, cause you, you, I mean, man, our touring schedule was insane. I mean, we took, you guys were, you guys went as hard as any. Yeah. Did. I mean, like the, 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 the last few months were just crazy. The fact, like we got done with a two and a half month festival summer tour. And then from the last final date flew to Brazil and from Brazil flew to Australia, then flew to the UK, Ugh. then back to the United States for, and then back to the UK, then back to Europe. And then back to our, and then we flew into our, basically flew into our final two, two months of our last tour. And so we were all just done. You know, I was baked. So honestly, getting off the road, which is a huge regret. You know, I always wanted to end the band, you know, kind of a month off, month off, on, month off, month on, month off, you know, kind of, you know, kind of just, you know, touring every other month just to enjoy it. But, you know, yeah. some of the guys in the band or management or whatever, we just, you know, kind of ended up voting that the conclusive that, you know, hey, this is going to be what's best. And, in you know, for, for the, you know, for the band as a democracy, I guess you could call it. But by the end, I was just ready. I could care less, you know, I, the, you know, again, like the only thing that was keeping me on that stage was that hour and a half where, you know, cause I knew, I saw like the emotion, I saw the intensity, the energy, the commitment, you know, there wasn't a lot of people like where they had just been like, oh, who's Amberlynn? I think I'll just, I'll buy tickets to this random show. <laughs> it was all, it wasn't like, you know, that. no, yeah. it was all people either following us around the country or had bought tickets like months and months in advance. Or, you know, these, these shows didn't just like sell out the night of the show. These were like sellouts months prior. So for me, it was like, I've got to give my all to these guys. You know, they have been, you know, this is, this, they've been looking forward to this for months. You know, they have been, uh, you know, have have been dwelling on this and writing us and emailing us and sending us letters and, te you know, tweeting us and, you know, getting on social media and, and, you know, showing such great support that that they were the ones that were that kept me on there night after night. I thought it was kind of weird that you guys chose to do Warp Tour kind of in your last year as a band. Yeah. Uh, what, why, why did you make that decision? Yeah, I did too. You know, I, I, I you know, it wasn't like priority number one for me. But to my my objective was, you know, if if I had a favorite band, if I had a favorite band, I would I would at least want to have the opportunity to see them one more time. And so for us, we thought to ourselves, what is the greatest amount of people that we can reach at at one at any given point? Like, even sure. though we'd only that was only our second. You know, people think, oh, Amberlynn Warp Tour band, but that was literally only our second time ever playing Warp Tour, and so. For us, it was kind of like we just wanted what was going to reach the greatest number of people, so that we give every gave everybody an, you know an opportunity or a chance um, to see us one last time. And in addition, we felt like we, in in some way, we owed it to Tooth and Nail. Tooth and Nail decided like, hey, you know, we're going to be so passionate about you guys. We want to push you guys so much. Would you, you know, uh, this last record? Would you guys be willing to go on Warp Tour? And for us. Tooth and Nail had always been so good to us. We love Tooth and Nail. We have a great relationship with Tooth and Nail. And so we wanted to give the record and, you know, record the best possible chance that it could and show Tooth and Nail that, you know, we were willing to work and we were going to work hard for them. And so when they suggested it, we kind of, you know, at first, obviously, your first inclination is to say no. But but for us, we felt like, man, this would be awesome for fans, you know, for, for people 
who might never get a chance, you know, in some of these markets, because we weren't going to go back to a lot of these markets. Um, that makes sense. And so, yeah, you know, we that. weren't going to like go to Albuquerque and then come back to Albuquerque. We were going to go, you know, this was it. This was the final for these, yep. you know, and some of these were B markets and we knew we weren't going to get a chance to hit those. Right. And so for us, we just want to do what was best for the greatest number of fans. So that so that final show you guys played, where was Orlando, it? Orlando, Florida at the House of Blues. Orlando, House of yep. Blues. Oh, man. So, you know, you say when it's all wrapped up, you were done. You know, you were like, I mean, you were so burnt out over, you know, 12 years that you were done. Um, did that, did feeling that way take away from that moment of your last show or did it still end up being as emotional as, you know, as I would imagine it to no, be? No, I mean, sadly... It did take away. It absolutely took away. You know, I, I wish we would have had more breaks or more time in there. Um, again, I, I really did want to tour differently our last year. But, you know, I understand that, you know, it's a band. It's, it's, it's six people making a decision. You know, it's not just one. Well, the other thing, too, is, I, I mean, it would be stupid. Well, not stupid. It would be, <laughs> it wouldn't be right to, to not talk about money. I mean, obviously, this is your been your source of income with your other bandmates for more than a decade. You guys haven't had other jobs, I assume. No, we did. You know, we did have other jobs. Um, you did have other, you have number one song on radio and you have other jobs. How, how, pardon my, pardon my language. How fucked up yeah, is that? It, you know, but, uh, uh, but, but no, I, I mean, I just, obviously I just mean to ask you like, obviously the promise of money and this kind of being your last payday that you're going to have as a band that must have factored into what you chose to do too. Um, yeah, not, not me personally. I, I would literally have yeah. gone back in time and take a massive pay cut if we could have done it differently, you know, and listen, I, yeah. let me, let me state out two things. Number one, or a couple things, you know, number one, I love the guys and I understand why they, they chose what they did. You know, um, we're just, we were just in a different mental place at that time. And, you know, I don't, th I don't blame them. I don't say like, I just wished it was different. I don't say that they were wrong or that they, you know, that, that I'm pissed or anything like that. It's not like that at all. It was very much yeah. like, you know, hey, I want whatever, you know, I want, I want peace in the band and I want, you know, everybody to get along. I want us all to like leave out, you know, friends. And so I'm willing to do whatever everybody decides. It was, you know, you know, they understood my, where I was at and I understood where they were at. So it wasn't like I was going to say, you know, I'm not going. I may said like, no, I don't want to do this particular tour or not. But you know, yeah. But it's it wasn't like you know, it wasn't. It there was no animosity at the end of the day, and also. And you guys are still close. You guys still talk quite often. Yeah, I talked to I talked to Christian and Nate and Joey and yeah. But let me go back to one more thing. Like, um, just yeah. just really fast. It was uh, as far as like. I just want to make sure that people know that, like, even though we were burnt out, you know, and I want to speak for a few of the guys in the band, it wasn't, you know, just me. Um, uh, we always put like a hundred percent into the show, you know, like yeah, night after night, you know, it wasn't like, you know, there's, I mean, no one would ever question that. I mean, I've seen, I've seen your band play. I mean, I don't want to say maybe not dozens of times, but I mean, at least a dozen times. And I was always amazed with how much energy you guys had. I mean, even from when, like 2003 all the way up to maybe the last time I saw you was, because I didn't get a chance to see you last year, but maybe like in 2013. Yeah. I, I mean, nobody would ever say, oh, they're phoning it in. That was never your style. Yeah, no. And and uh, yeah, again, night after night, just being up there, just, I mean, those, that last tour. And I mean, that's another contributing factor. You know, you go up there and you play an hour and a half, two hours a night. 
for for that many months in a row. I don't, you know, uh, yeah, I think anybody would be kind of, you know, I don't even think, uh, I don't even think NFL seasons or NBA seasons are eight months long, you know? <laughs> maybe hockey, maybe, maybe hockey, hockey is, but yeah. uh, uh, no, but I, I mean, all those years, um, you know, this is the Lead Singer Syndrome podcast. So um, one thing that lead singers like to talk to each other about and complain about is like their voice and how it holds up on tour. So I always ask people, you know, um, you know, over your career, did you have many problems with your voice? Because it seemed like when you were up there on stage, you were giving it harder than just about anybody. And I mean, you weren't screaming necessarily, but you were really pushing your voice like to its max. Yeah, I, you know, I, and I did have problems off and on, you know, n- during Never Take Friendship Personal, right before we started recording that. My aunt is actually lives in um, actually lives in Kelowna, Canada, and she gives lessons. Her name's Sandra Babel, and uh, she, I went up there and kind of worked with her. And because um, at that point, I kept perpetually losing my voice. And what she said was, you know, golfers don't put in a hundred percent of their swing; they put in seventy five percent. And in the same way as a gol- as as like a professional golfer, you need to like hold something back. And if that just means hold something back for the next night, then that's what you got to do. That makes sense. You know, I've never heard it put that quite that way, but that is quite eloquent. I, you know, I think so. I, and then you come to learn your voice. You know, I, I toured with this one vocalist and he would have to warm up for like over an hour and use vapor machines yeah. and all this stuff and eat a certain diet. And and you know what? And it worked for him. And for me, you know, yep. for me, it was about a 15 minute warm up knowing I shouldn't have anything milk related Um you know, if I want to sing the best I possibly can, don't drink milk or anything, any dairy products, and then make sure that I get a solid 15 minutes in. Um, but, you know, but, but to me, I always love to push my voice because I feel like, you know, um, I can sing like regular, you know, I can sing or I can put passion behind it, put a little grovel behind it, you know, like just, you know, I feel like kind of the strain and I even, I even love when vocalists crack, you know, because to me it shows like, you're pushing, you're going for it. And so I enjoyed that. And I kind of wanted to, I wanted to emanate that on stage to be able to, to not like prove to anybody that was giving my all, but, but literally giving my all, you know? Well, yeah. But I mean, that's the thing about singing. It's people, people misunderstand what singing is. And, you know, at least 50%, I'm going to say it's probably more like 80% is really the character that you're putting into it. Yeah, there? yeah. You know, I told no, oh, I yeah. totally agree. Uh, and uh, sorry, I heard some crackling on the line. No, I don't sorry. know what that was. Uh, <laughs> no, um, and and really though, like it's at least fifty to eight, fifty to eighty percent. I'm going to say is is that character and that, and you get that from pushing your voice and going into those sometimes unpleasant feelings. Yeah. And and I sometimes feel like if I'm not if I'm not in pain up there on stage. Maybe I'm doing it wrong. You know, mm-hmm. I feel like I need to be in pain and I'm singing about something painful and it's like those things just those feelings kind of should be coordinated in a way. Do you ever do you feel that way too? Well, I mean, I do I do believe, you know, and several things you said, but I do believe I like, you know, I like character and voices. I've always loved that. You know, from Jeff Buckley to Morrissey to Nico, those are my favorite singers because I love that like that texture. And I do believe, you know, that you have to believe the lyrics you write. You know, you really have to grasp onto those. So if, you know, and I think that shines through. If you really believe what you're singing up there, if you really, those words really meant that much to you when you wrote them, I think it'll come through. And I also people, I also know you can tell when people are phoning it in. I mean, people, just audience have a sense of that. They know when you're phoning it in. So, you know, oh, yeah. if you're not up there, 
like 100%, you know, believing in, in what you're singing, what you're stating, uh, I think people could tell. Absolutely. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about Anne Berlin and, and kind of your, your crazy career that you had. Um, cause it, it is not, I mean, you guys are a very unique band in, in everything that happened to you guys. And I remember the first time we met, um, do you remember we were at Furnace Fest? Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Alabama. Yep. Uh, only time we ever played Alabama, actually. I'm sure you guys, being a Christian band, probably rolled through Alabama a few times after that. But we played it once with you guys at Furnace Fest. I remember meeting you. And, you know, that was 2003, I want to say. And, you know, we were both on our first albums. And, you know, obviously both our bands have had, you know, careers and, and my band is still going. And you guys just broke up last year. But um, I want to talk about how you guys started on Tooth and Nail and then you ended up being this major label radio band. And I guess like if you could start from the beginning of how like you guys came with tooth and nail and how that progressed to that next step, I would love to hear that story. Yeah, absolutely, man. Um, well, (laughs) so we played, we played a lot of shows early on with a punk rock band and we were kind of like, you know, got to a point where punk rock was just not our thing anymore. We didn't, you know, we could listen to it. We enjoyed it. Uh, seven seconds and face to face, a veil and all that kind of stuff. Hot water music was yep. a huge influence. Um, but we just that's Florida yeah. band, so it makes oh, yeah. sense. But we just got to a point where we just kind of like, ah, this is you know, we like this music, but we just don't want to play it. And so from there, we kind of like spawned a side project, if you will, Amberlynn. And our punk rock band was actually funding Amberlynn to go and record these demos. So we went to Atlanta, <laughs> Georgia, and uh, did five song uh, demo with uh, a guy named Matt Golden in there, and. Uh, Matt Goldman was like, wow, you guys really have something here. Can I share these with my Warner Brother friends? And I was like, sure, I mean, of course you can. So, you know, during, awesome. during that time, we, you know, because he called Warner Brothers and somebody called somebody and, you know, it kind of got around. We had, you know, back, back when mp3.com was, was, uh, was a thing. Uh, oh, I loved yeah. mp3.com. So we, yeah. we, had, we had accumulated 25,000 plays in three months, which at that time was was like crazy you know that's i remember it was uh, i remember mp3.com i remember rufio was like the big mp3.com yeah com yep, band. yes they were you guys were you guys were one of them too you know, I, mean, I don't want to say we were a big mp3 band but for a brand new band coming out of the gate hitting yeah. twenty five thousand in three months was just something that the labels were like well somebody's listening you know somebody's like really catching on to these songs and so then the demos you know that was ready fuels where kind of our first uh bigger song i guess our first notable song anyway um that uh you know that kind of spawned a lot of talk within labels and tooth and nail kind of sent one of their guys out chad johnson well because of the punk rock band because of the central florida theme we were touring a lot with under oath and uh and you know bands like ludicrous which is now norma jean yeah Um, yeah i booked ludicrous once for a show up in canada that's awesome and they had to change their name rather quickly. Rather didn't quickly, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so here comes this guy, this A and R, uh, and he came down to watch the show, and it went under oath. Opened the show, then we were second, and then Norma Jean closed the show because they were Atlanta locals and uh, you know yep. or, or you know Georgia locals anyway. Um, and so they closed. Well, can you imagine kind of like an Amberlynn? Where I don't want to call us pop rock, but we were like rock with a lot of pop influence especially early on. 
So of course the show is going to go bad, regardless if you played flawless, <laughs> because you got Under Oath of the crowd and the, is I mean it's a sold out show. Especially it, back then, like Under Oath was like more like a grindcore yeah, band in the early yeah, days, you know. With Dallas was still singing, you know, yeah. and so it was insane. The crowd was insane for Under Oath. Then we go up, and of course we flopped. Everybody was just staring at us, and then here comes Norma Jean, and this and the and the crowd was insane. And the night wasn't flawless. We were all nervous as crap because, you know, we knew that A&Rs were in the audience. So the A&R called Brandon and was like, do not sign them. Please don't sign them. They were horrible. And Brandon was like, you know what? Forget it. I'm just going to take a chance on them. Just sign them. And that was how it all began. And we flew up to Seattle to record with Aaron Sprinkle um, in 2000, end of 2002, and put out the record up. Had he done the Pedro? Had he done the Pedro the Lion record yet at that point? Had he done the Pedro? I'm not sure. Yeah, the Control, uh, control no, record. I don't know. One of my favorite albums. I, I uh, every time I hear his name, Andrew uh, Aaron Sprinkle's name, I'm like, oh, that yeah. record. Yeah, he's it, how is working with him? Is he? Because I, I mean, his some of his records are like magical. Yeah, and I wonder how he is working as like a dude. Yo, no, you know, in the early days, I was so full of like piss and vinegar, and so so hungry you know i was you know I, I i've never seen my equivalent to who i was in those days as far as like getting things done you know like i yeah. was doing it all i again hustling you know again just like we talked about earlier i was sure. i was the hustler and i was on fire so aaron and i didn't get along we got along during blueprints we didn't really get along uh in uh, uh during uh, never take friendship personal i just couldn't i couldn't stand the dude and then cities, we were back good, but I knew in the back of my head, like, oh man, I, I you know, it wasn't, we, he had done so many records. He was accustomed to the stress and the strain of a record, but I wasn't, I wasn't there. Yeah. And then I'm, and then, you know, he wanted to explore, like, let's just, let's work on this for an hour. And then, you know what, we'll take a couple of hours off and then we'll come back to it. And then tonight we'll jump on it. But I want to, you know, go, 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 do, do, do. You know, I yeah. wanted to pull like 13, 14, 15 hours in the studio. And this dude was like, hey, I've got a family. And hey, which is fair. Oh, you know, yeah. And hey. Sure, of course. it's. I mean, I'm sure you understand oh, that more no, now. I do, no, now I look back yeah. and was like, dude, I just didn't know. I just didn't understand. You know, but at the time, you know, I just was so amped to work and work hard long hour days uh, that I didn't understand that there was life outside of being in a band. And and obviously now I do because we went back and, and um, uh, we did Vital with him. And then, you know, I got to choose whoever I wanted to produce my vocals. I could have chosen anybody. Everybody got to choose who they did guitars with, who they did with drums with. Yeah. And I chose Aaron because I love the dude. We understand. We comprehend each other. I've never worked faster with a producer. I mean, there was one song I did to center in about 15 minutes off Lowborn. In 15 minutes, just because like I knew him. We knew each other. He he knew what to tell me. We, you know, we were at that point, you know, he was almost like a another member of the band. I, he knew what I was going for. I knew what he was going for. He just had to say it's, a few words, and 15 minutes later, the entire song was done. That's an amazing thing. And I love that you bring that up because I've interviewed a bunch of singers and I haven't really gotten into that. I've I've talked to some people about producers and everyone's like, Yeah, no, he is cool. But there's that relationship like when you're in the studio working, you know, usually it's more in the evening time, right? Because you do guitars in the morning or whatever. Uh, and you know, I love working with a producer like one on one, no one else in the room. And like you just know, like you do a take 
And it's like, you know, you didn't get there. He knows you didn't get there. There's no conversation about the take. There's no like, oh, we have to listen to it. It's just like, you do it again, you know? And, and when you have that kind of like, it's almost like, uh, it's almost like when you're playing basketball and you watch, like you watch Pippen and Jordan play together. And it's like, it's like, it's like that, that, you know, those guys can't even describe what it is. But you need to have that with a producer. Yeah. And that I guess that's what you had with Oh, Aaron. I do. And I still do. You know, I love that guy. And if there's ever a chance to work with him again, uh, I would jump on it because he's just incredible. So, okay. So you guys are on Tooth and Nail. You guys have, you know, a very, very solid career. Um, putting out some, ver- I mean, Never Take Friendship Personal is like, you know, a classic record. Um, and, you know, you guys end up on... Universal Republic. How did that all happen? Do you guys finish your contract well, with Tooth and Nail? So no, I mean yes, uh, you know and yes. I mean we had we had already we had signed for three records initially, but after Never Take Friendship Personal, we had at least three to four major label record labels just you know coming after us. But Tooth and Nail at that time was kind of in in transition to EMI, and uh, you know they they just wanted too much money. You know to buy us out of our contract was going to cost too much money for. Uh, the major label. So everybody said, listen, um, you know, we'll get back to you. You know, Tooth and Nail is just not, this isn't, yep. the, you know, we we really want cities. We'll, you know, we want that, but we just, you know, it's just, we're not, it's not the right timing because we don't want to put you in massive, massive debt out of the gate. Sure. And so we felt like that was fair, but all of us in the back of our head, I knew, you know, I had a great conversation. It was me, Brandon, and my manager, Kyle, and we sat down with Brandon and we said, Brandon, like, here's really what we want. And it was it had nothing to do with money at all. I can I can promise you it had nothing to do with money. But here's the two stipulations we want. We want to be on the radio and we want to we want to hit international hard. And he said, Man, at this time, I can't promise you that. And we were like, Thank you, Brandon. And I was like, with your blessing, I think we're gonna move on. And there was there was no ill will. I mean, obviously Brandon wanted to keep us on, you know, he offered us a contract, but that's what we really wanted. We wanted to go after radio. We knew that we had a, you know, we felt like Paper Thin Him, you know, even though it got to like number 32 on the alternative charts, we felt like it could have had bigger legs if we would have had a bigger production, you know. So why did you feel radio was so important? Because we had re- reached a glass ceiling. You know, if you look at the history of all uh-huh. Tooth and Nail bands, no one in the history of Tooth and Nail, all those amazing bands, no one has ever done better outside of Tooth and Nail. I don't care what band you were, you've never done better. And we felt like we have hit the glass ceiling and we, we've reached the pinnacle of our fans. We've reached the, yes. we've hit the same markets we've hit. We've done that. We've toured with the same bands over and over. We need more. And, 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 and that's, I think that's any, I don't care if you're a company, if you're selling computers, if you're selling artwork, <laughs> I don't care what you are in your medium and your format, whatever your business is, um, and not that we viewed Amberlin as a business, but that I viewed it as an art and we, our medium had hit a glass ceiling and we need, and the only other place to go was radio, you know, that we didn't want to, yeah. you know, we didn't want to completely change our sound. We didn't want to like, I don't know. I don't know what else you would do. I mean, we were kind of in a, backed into a corner of, Hey, we have done, we have reached the pinnacle of what we can do here at tooth and nail because you know, and cities had done it. You couldn't have gotten bigger with two on tooth and nail with cities. Um, sure. For us, I'm not saying as a, as any band. I'm saying for us personally. Um, no, I mean it was the same thing with Victory Records. We were on Victory Records. I mean they had when we started on, on there, they had three radio guys. They had three radio guys, and they couldn't get anything on the radio. But that's how important radio was for selling albums at that point. Right. Yeah. You know that they had three full time staff just tr- attempting it, 
in hopes that something would stick because that's how big radio yeah. was. And I mean, of course, I mean, I want I really want to talk about the transition to Universal Republic, but like it's pro- probably kind of funny now because now it's like I don't even know if radio if radio sells records anymore or if if records even sell. Yeah. You know, when you finally get your song on the radio and it's like, well, no one's even buying records anymore. Yeah, it's true. But um but but go back to yeah, go so go back to the transition back yeah. to uh, uh, Universal Republic because that's So the final decision was made on well, uh, a couple weeks ago my friend he was making fun of me because he was just like, you know, calling me rich because I have a, I have a Land Rover and he has an S, an Acura SUV. And he was like, you know, just making fun of me like, oh, dude, like, you know, Richie Rich over here. And I was like, dude, that's life. Life is all about a perception. I was like, how much did your, how much did, did your oh, yeah. Acura cost? And he was like, well, I just bought it. It was, it was 14,000. I was like, great. And I pulled up Craigslist and I showed him, I was like, here's my Land Rover. The reason I bought a Land Rover is because for me, I have two kids and I want them as safe as possible. But here's the Craigslist ad. I bought my my Land Rover for $7,500. So the perception in life is if you see a Land Rover, it was expensive. It's, you know, yeah. and so well, in the same way deals with human. Ask me, I drive a BMW uh, 3 Series too. And people say the same things to me. Oh, yeah, you're the big rock singer. You, you know, drive a black BMW. And then I say, oh, what's your car? And it's like, oh, I got like a Honda Pilot. I'm like, that car is and you and my my car's a 2008. You know, your car's a 2012. It's worth way more yeah. than my car. You want to trade? Yeah. So, yeah, you know, ex- but you're right. The perception thing is, is, a, is real. Life is about it's perceptions. Real. And so the fact of the matter is for for the the average person. When you say Universal Republic or you say major label record, the perception of the band changes in people's minds. They feel like you're massive for whatever reason, even though it doesn't mean you're massive. It, you know, your contract could be, far, you know, we probably could have got a far better contract as far as points were concerned and, you know, and, and yeah. contracts were concerned and all these, you know, little nuances if we would have stayed with tooth and nail. But we knew that the perception of people's minds for a major label was much bigger. And also, and case in point, we had never we had submitted for Warp Tour time and time and time again and got turned down. But when Warp Tour heard that we were on a major label, that was the summer we got Warp Tour. How how crazy is that? We got into a Land Rover. It makes total. We got sense. into a Land Rover and suddenly we were the pretty girl on the block. And so, but, <laughs> I love that analogy. Yeah, so it's 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 funny, yeah. but you know, and here we are. And so and and uh, but we signed for, we signed to them because they said, "Here's what we can do for you, man. We are going to get you." To, to international markets, we're going to push your record to international markets, we're going to get you on tour, and we're going to get you on the radio, and we will fight for radio. And they were right, and they did, man. We did. Uh, we had three songs that had broke the top five, one that went number one, um, and, 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 and I, they were right. And we chose we chose correctly um, the major label and and again perception. We started to get tours that we never got. We we never would have had the opportunity to. We were out with obviously thirty seconds and you know Lincoln Park and and Smashing Pumpkins and uh, you know all these you know all these bands just suddenly like you know you know obviously through the radio and through the major yeah. label and through the opportunities that radio opened up to us um, we were suddenly. Uh, yeah, suddenly to a new elevated game, and the only band that has ever been more successful outside of Tooth and Nail than On. Right. Well, that number one song uh, you're talking about, Feel Good yeah. Drag, right? Yeah. Uh, and that song was such an interesting story because when it became a hit on the radio, I was like, I know this fucking song. And like, you know, this is like, I know this. This is this is an old song. Yeah. So 
and and, and like I mean the, the one I think about the the classic is uh, you mentioned earlier that you were a fan of Face to Face and and uh you know on their yeah. first record they had a song Disconnected oh, I love Disconnected and then and right it's a great I song the and then they that song it said no way we will never put this song on a late uh, a record again we're not going to sell out like that yeah. then. one two three four exactly yep. exactly because it was on an earlier yeah. record and then the same thing happened they got they were on a and or something and then they ended up putting disconnected on with it was it was dis- disconnected and then like a descendants cover i think were the two uh bonus tracks on the record and when i heard that and i knew you know i knew it was like and and i mean that song Correct me if I'm wrong. I don't even think it was a single. No, it wasn't. On um, no, and it was like a deep cut. It was like number probably nine like in the definitely yeah yeah on the B side on the side B. So when I heard that song, I said, okay, somebody from the label must have heard that song and was like, I need that one. That's a hit, and kind of forced you to re-record it. Is that is that what happened? Not at or? all. Not at all. Oh no. Okay. It was me. I I said, listen. I mean, I I basically laid out, hey. You know, it was the the band all discussed like, hey, we don't, I didn't, I never felt like that song got a fair chance. I, you know, I, oh, I felt yeah. like, well, you're, what you said, it was number nine on a record that at that time, it might've been like a favorite amongst the, you know, quote unquote, the scene or the, you know, the culture or the, you know, the P. I'll, I'll admit it was one of my favorite songs. That's that awesome. Record, for sure. Yeah, but, you know, we never, you know, we had just started playing it live and we fell in love with the song. We played it live for the first time in Australia and the crowd loved it. We were like, really? This song never gets requested. It never gets talked about. But see, that uh-huh. was, that song, it wasn't even supposed to be on Never Take Friendship Personal. I flew back in and recorded those vocals with a guy named Zach, who was Aaron Sprinkle's assistant because we ran out of time. <laughs> And so I didn't feel like it got a fair shake all the way around from my vocal standpoint, yeah. uh, you know, kind of like throat slapping on the record. I felt like it was slapped on the record at the last moment. Uh, and uh, was there red tape? Was there red tape getting that back from Tooth and Nails? Oh, since of it was course, on, like, man. Your, you know, like. So how did, how did that work well, out? We still, you know, we basically believed in the song so much that we said uh, that we will, that we will make you know, we did not make one cent on any publishing on that song. Our biggest song, oh my God. and we didn't make a writer's cut or a publishing cut on any of those on the, on the, because we had to. We had to say, "Listen, Tooth and Nail, we believe in this song so much. You know, we'll 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 give you our share of the profits." And that's how much we believed in it. And we took a massive gamble. We took a massive gamble by putting it on the record. We put a massive gamble on making that our first single. But we believed in it, and it, you know, and you were and right. We were right. You were right. And, you know, somebody today wrote me and said, "Do you feel like you know the the popularity of, of new uh, of of that song, a feel good drag, overshadowed all the new music that you've put out since?" And I said, "Yeah, absolutely, it did overshadow." But it's a catch twenty two because I would not have been able to create new music had it not been for new for for that song for for feel good drag. And people gave us a little bit of flack for it, but it was a, it was hilarious to me. It was just the most hilarious thing because like the song went number one. And the reason that you guys voted for it or, or got number one is because our fans rallied around it. So you're sitting there, you know, punching yourself and saying, why would they record it? And then the other, with that same hand, you're like calling the radio station and requesting it. So thank you. You know, like it I, is, hila- it's, it is it's hilarious. Funny, but, but, but when I, it got I popular, felt, people I mean, got like, all like, oh no. And I was just like, dude, this is no such thing as a sellout because I, I did like, 
I did not make a single cent. You could ask any label, you could ask my manager lawyer if I made a single cent on any publishing on that because we didn't. It wasn't about us and it was and never ever did a record did the record label come and say, "Hey, you know that song Feel Good Drag? We want you to re-record it." It was never. We approached the label, we approached our producer. The label didn't even know we were going to do it. I we brought it up with Neil Avron and said, "What do you think about doing this song re-recording it?" And our producer Neil Avron was like, "Yeah, I love that song. If you guys want to do it, redo it. Let's do it." So ne- awesome. never once was a label involved at all. Awesome. That is awesome. One of the reasons I enjoy doing this podcast so much is that I get to bring brand new music, great music, right into your ear holes. And today I've got something super new and awesome, a brand new band called Best Case. Super, super new. Hailing from Atlanta, Best Case could best be described as blending emo, pop punk, and alternative with a touch of nostalgia. But of course, I'm going to let you decide. Here is a clip from their debut single, Heavy Seas. Could compete with that disease. Some moments that you lost and gained were a bitter pill, but you, you ingested the pain. There it is. Great stuff. And check out the very emotional video for the song on YouTube as well. The whole album is out July 12th. Make sure you follow the band on whatever streaming service you use as well because you do not want to miss it. It's produced by Zach Odom and Kenneth Mount, Mayday Parade and Cartel. And the band also features drummer Ben Cato, known for his work in his previous band, The Dangerous summer we love them around here so go check out best case it's brand new you heard it here first and thank me later head over to bestcase.band for links to everything or simply search for best case wherever you get your music with game pass um well i mean i guess i guess the transition from from indie you know indie christian label you know where you have a lot of christian fans um obviously with tooth and nail being a christian label i i mean i i mean i know they were not every band ever on the label was christian but for the most part they were um and going to totally like a, a mainstream label like universal republic um how hard was that for you guys? Like, uh, uh, all of a sudden, your fans are not your fans anymore. They're they're completely different people. Was that difficult for not you? Not at all, man. I mean, as musicians, like, I don't care your age, race, color, creed, religion. 
as a musician or as an artist, I don't care if you're a painter or a dancer, whatever your medium is, your format, don't you want to expose it to the maximum amount of people for the, for the maximum sure. amount of joy? Like, and if people don't like it, just turn it off or don't go to the art gallery. Just as simple as that, you know, never. Right. But, but, but I guess part of it too, though, is like you have, you have your diehard fans that are like buying your entire, you know, they're, they're buying into your whole band. They're buying into, you know, your albums and your multiple albums and they're going to your shows and they're buying all your merch. And now you're on a label where you're getting one song pushed uh, onto the radio, people are coming out to see your shows, and some people are really only know like your one song. Yeah, yeah, that was. Different. I guess, I guess that, I guess that thing must like that. That was real. I'm sure that that's real. Oh, that's totally um, real. Oh, yeah. And and, and I want to know how that made you feel because that for for me, I think that would be hard. It is hard. It was totally hard. I mean, but but the but what I am, but where is where am I losing in that though? You know, like. It was weird because I knew I knew that I invested so much in time and effort and energy in the studio in those nine other songs on the record that you weren't really paying attention to. Like, and yeah, that's weird. Yeah. But you're at my show. You're being exposed sure. to new to new music to the but, opening but bands. The and the, but the fear, but the fear is, and I hate I keep interrupting. Oh, I'm no sorry. I, but but the fear is that you're going to get these fans and they're going to be like, oh, I love that song. They're going to come to your show. They're going to buy a shirt, whatever, maybe, maybe they aren't. And you're going to be playing like this huge, you know, huge room and you're going to have this growth and your existing fans that loved your three previous records are all going to be like, well, I don't like this band anymore because these other people coming out, they aren't on the same level as me. And I know in a way you're going to be like, well, I don't care. Then they, they aren't real fans, but there is a certain, like, I found them first. And you, there are bands whose careers have, have fallen off based on that, yeah. you know, based on getting mainstream success. Yeah, I can see that. But I think that, you know, the fact of the matter is this wasn't our first record. This was our fourth record that got that was that successful. So the fact yeah. of the matter is we had been grinding it out, man. I mean, grinding it out. You know how it is. You know, playing sure. shows to sixty people, forty people, twenty people. You know, I, I just the 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 most insane. You know, the biggest shows. You know, even uh, the smallest shows. And so the fact of the matter is, those people knew us. You know, the people that were there, they knew they knew that we weren't trying to like pull one over them or become the massive band. Like we were putting it out. We were we were putting in a hundred percent. On never take friendship personal, and we were taking, you know, given a hundred percent on new surrender. You know, there was no difference. They weren't looking on stage at like I'm not suddenly wearing a pink boa and you know cock rocket it and not talking to them. You know, I'm not, you know, I'm not putting on like studs and not wearing a shirt on stage and thinking <laughs> I'm better. I'm spitting on them and you know, you know, you know, what's up, mother? Yeah. You know, I'm not doing that. They see the same five dudes sweaty, pouring it out, you know, you know, uh, uh, you know, just laying it all out on the line. And I think that I don't, you know, I think at the end of the night, it's a little forgivable to look around and be like, dude, who's that guy? I've never seen him at this show. When, yep. the, when you look on stage and hopefully you're in the front row and the same dude's like waving at you and calling you out like, hey man, what's up? Good to see you again. You know, we didn't change our, we didn't change. Uh, yeah. I didn't change my verbatim. I didn't get up there and start like, uh, spouting off something like "Hello, Cleveland," and 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 kind of making this ambiguous talk. I I was, you know, you could have watched a show in two thousand four, watched me in two thousand nine, and I get, I guarantee, I, I I was most likely the same. Sure, my pants got a little looser, but you know that's about it. I'm not like wearing <laughs> girl jeans anymore, but 
you know, I'm definitely, you know, uh, I there's probably some pictures where I'm wearing the same exact T-shirt, man. People make right. fun of me all the time, but I'm like, dude, I'm love this shirt. It's my I'm show the same shirt. I'm dude, yeah. My show shirt. Well, so I mean, well, I'm I mean, wearing the but, same show shirt, man. I didn't, I didn't have, you know, Universal didn't come to us and be like, okay, man, I need you guys to all wear black because that's what no, we were doing. Did, you know, I need you to wear a jacket. It's like, dude, I did that back in the day. I'm, there's no, but there did was Universal, no But did Universal come to you and say, we need this kind of song? Because once you strike gold at radio, <laughs> there's obviously got to be some kind of pressure. No, I mean, there... Oh yeah, they, yeah. There's internal pressure. There's massive internal pressure. Oh, well, there was pressure before we even got, you know, we got signed on a major label. Everything ups your game, man. Yeah, I had a, I had an Aaron R call me before we went into New Surrender and say, hey, listen, man, if this record fails, it's all on you. You're the one to blame. We're not going to blame anybody else. <laughs> and I went a little nuts, man. I went a little crazy because I mean that was just yeah, that was a hard a lot of pressure. Season. But it's a pressure from the fans. It's a pressure from the rest of the guys in the band. It's a label. It's myself. I mean, dude, cities. You know was a was a was a monumental album in our career how do you outdo cities you know so i had that pressure i had a pressure of success of being even more successful you know so i don't know it was it was nuts man but never never once was the label like you need to sound like maroon five we're letting you know you need to cut your hair like this band you need to do this because they signed amberlynn and now if we had been a, a, a new band and this was our first record i am i'm positive that happens all the time hey you need so to they sound like this so they never said we need this kind of song or no, they never said the, this the, is this you know change these lyrics no no uh, dude, no yeah, I so had, you were I able had, you were able to have contr- creative control more, where you were able to go in with neil avron or whoever and just be like this is the record and then you sent it to the label they never interjected dude i had more more times i've had more more experiences of people to ch- telling me to change my lyrics on tooth and nail than i ever had on universal Oh, wow. I, I I would bet I I bet Universal would be stoked if I started cussing on a record or something. They'd be like, "Yeah, that's edgy. Wow, that's so cool." <laughs> no, never, n- not once did they come and say, you know, they yeah, I, they signed us to be Amberlynn. He knew yeah. exactly what he was getting into, and if anything, he wanted me to keep you know continuing the Amber just be Amberlynn, um, and to a bigger audience, you know. Cool. Well, hey, that's that's a great. I mean, wow, that's so much insight to to your career and that how that all happened. Um, but you're not done singing. Uh, you still have your solo project, Anchor and Braille. Yeah, it's coming out uh, early. I, nobody knows this yet, but it looks like it's coming out January 2016. Beautiful. And on, um, on, on my old friend's tooth and nail. Tooth and nail. Still that's, there. Nobody knows that either. So there you go. Two for two. Cool. And um, what are your plans for the release? Are you going to go back on the road? Well, I'm going to see, you know, I really want to. I really love this record. I love touring with Anchor and Braille, man. It was just, you know, I, I played a show in Washington, D.C. at this rock and roll hotel, and that was by far top five favorite uh, we uh, favorite shows all time. We were we played with Civil Twilight. It was me and Micah Talks and a guy named Kevin that was in Civil Twilight, uh, some good friends on, you know, on, on, on bass and drums. So it was such a great experience, man. I would love it. Um, it just kind of has to work out in parameter of time. And, and yeah. I also want to be able to be, you know, tour. I like to tour smarter, not harder now. Yeah. Well, I mean, after the initial conversation about last year, I can, can understand yeah. why. Yeah, man, uh, I'm all into it. Do you feel, do you feel like when you're doing that band, you know, Anchor and Braille, when you're doing your solo, you know, stuff, does it feel more like you? Uh, do, you know, when you're on stage, like personality wise, 
Oh, yeah, it does feel like me. It really does. I mean, it feels like, you know, I'm a very unconfident individual. I I enjoy kind of being the background. I think the worst, my least favorite part of of being in a band was any type of notoriety or fame or uh, press or, you know, to me, it was just kind of, I don't like that. I kind of like being that guy in the shadows and uh, being a little more. You're kind of an introvert. I am an introvert, but I mean, I, I was not a. I did not want to be that for Amberlynn. I did not want, that was not the character that I chose in Amberlynn. And uh, so, yeah, I don't, I, it, I, I enjoy who I, I, I enjoy performing with Anchor, bro. It's a lot of fun. It's very freeing, but I'm not saying it's better than Amberlynn. I'm just saying it's different. You know, that's a, right. that's a big difference. I, you know, I, I, yeah, I loved, uh, you know, writing and all and all that stuff for Amberlynn. But for me, Anchor and Braille was just different. It was just a different expression, a different side. I all my Anchor and Braille records are something I, I you know, even this one's gonna be much different than any of the other Anchor and Braille records because it's it's usually tends to go what I'm listening to. And so I've listened yep. to a lot of like washed out and Frank Ocean and that's what this Anchor and Braille record is. Washed wow. out and Frank okay. Ocean. Okay, there you go. There you go. Well, you mentioned your personality in Anne Berlin, like uh, that you've you've almost say like you you it was like a put on thing because you're an introverted dude and you had to be like an extroverted, you know, rock singer like entertainer uh, in Anne Berlin. Is that something you ever struggle with um, now that Anne Berlin's done? Do you ever like find yourself being like, wait, am I being am I being Stephen Christian? You know frontman of major label band and berlin with the number one radio single or am i just being straight steven christian like the dude or you know or the you know working you know in a church in albuquerque like yeah. does that ever is that ever a struggle with your with your kind of post yeah uh, professional music career it's different you know like expectations you know again it's perception like what do people yeah. want what do people want from me you know and and i think that's another reason like why I don't feel like I have I, uh, that many close friends. I have very few and not because it's always, I'm so guarded now. You know, a lot of my friends are musicians because it's kind of like, oh, okay, you get it. You get where I'm from. You get what, what these struggles are as a, as a yeah. singer. And um, so you get it, you understand. And, and, but, and so I, you know, it's, it's weird, you know, cause for a long time there, you know, starting with, with starting right after blueprints, my expect, you know, people started to want to be my friend and people wanted things from me. Hence, never take friendship personal, the title of the record. Yeah, and of so course. from wow. there, you yeah. started to guard myself like, oh my gosh, what are you? Who are you? What what do you want from me? And that kind of put put barriers up. Man, maybe I could have had some great, great friends now if I had just like, um, you know, if I had just kind of gone naively into trusting everyone at every situation. But I, but I just kind of like saw people getting screwed over and I was just kind of like, man, I really don't want that for myself. And so I kind of began to be guarded, but, um, I don't know people's perception. What do people want? And I kind of try to tend to, you know, reach out and, and, you know, if people, somebody walks up to me and is just like, Hey, I'm Steven Christian. I would never, it's not a front. It's not a cocky front. It's just kind of a front of like, Hey man, it's good to meet you. Good to see you. Like, Hey, you know, and I, and kind of making sure that they're taken care of because I would hate for somebody to walk away and be like, dude, that guy's a prick. You know, it's, I don't mm-hmm. want that, you know? Um, but again, you know, I don't know. It's different. It's different to put on different faces, you know, cause when it went with, with Amberlynn going out to the crowds, like I kind of had to put on a, like put on a show. I wanted to put it all out there. I wanted to it's give them everything that they yeah. want. And that yeah. they felt, I felt like they needed. 
And so I remember seeing live videos of Mike uh, of, of Mick, Mick Jagger and how he, dude, if he said, I want everybody to quack like a duck and do jumping jacks, oh my gosh, he had them in the palm of their hand. And so I wanted yeah. to like, you know, that wasn't me. I couldn't do that. Like, It's interesting I, because I, I, I'm like, I don't feel any different when I'm talking to you now, when I'm talking to my girlfriend, when I'm hanging out with my parents, yeah. when I'm hanging out with my nephews, than when I do on stage, backstage, talking That's to kids awesome, at the man. merch, I don't awesome. feel differently. Obviously, there's times when I'm in like a bit of a different mood, um, but I don't ever feel like I'm putting on like any kind of a show, I guess. Yeah. Um, and... and I guess that I guess that is awesome. I don't really think about it. So when I hear you kind of saying, "Oh, I have this personality, and now I have a different personality with Anchor and Braille, and I have a different—I mean, I guess I have a different personality when I live my life." Yeah. Um. All that is all that is like super cool, and well, I, think, uh, I guess yeah. I go think, ahead. Yeah, I think you need to be like. I mean, you'd have to like sit in with my psychologist, you know, back in the day, because <laughs> I mean, you got to you got to understand that. Like, I grew I grew up and I, I lived in twelve different places by the time I was twelve years old. I never had friends. I never had like a stable environment. Um, I, growing up, and so even my you know I was that kid in school that. Uh, wore all black, like I, you know, and, and kind of kept my head down and, and wore like, you know, like punk rock t-shirts. Nobody really talked to me. Like I would be shocked if anybody from my high school knew, knew who I was afterwards, you know, because I mean, my high school yearbook, literally I was kind of like, you know, I just want to sign the people I know. And I, my high school yearbook right this second has six people's signatures. And, you know, because I wasn't popular, I wasn't a friend. I wasn't, you know, because I didn't know if I was going to move again. If I didn't know if I was going to be uprooted and leave. So I, I stayed to myself. And so that kind of, those seeds of kind of moving around as a young and coming from an unstable home planted, um, uh, insecurities and, 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 yeah. and, 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 and kind of unconfidence. I didn't have confidence to walk up and like, you know, walk up to people like, what's up, man? I'm Steven. Let's hang. You know, it wasn't like that. It was like, dude, I'm going to sit in the back of the class, wear all black, you know, scribble Metallica lyrics on my folder and not really talk to you. You know, that was my personality. So coming yeah. into a band, I'm not going to stand on stage, look, stare at the floor, wear all black and, and, and kind of like mumble in between songs. I want to get up there and present the, the person and the, who I feel like the music should belong to. And I actually love the person that I developed, you know, because now you know, later on in leadership roles in different ways and different areas. And even at the church, I've developed this confidence and it was a learned confidence. It wasn't a natural confidence. It wasn't something that I had, had, had was innate or genetic. It was, it was a, a, a premeditated kind of uh, something that I worked on. Like other people would go to school for this. I went to Amberlynn, you know, I, I developed right. it over the years. Even even if you watched a 2002 or 2003 video of Amberlynn, I was standing behind a microphone stand the entire show, the entire show, a hundred percent. So, you know, yeah, it was just it's a you know. Anyway, I hate to get all like philosophical no. <laughs> going into no, the depth, mean, but I, it was it was something that you know was learned. Um, wow. That's, yeah. yeah. That is, but I, no, you know, that I, is, and some people can be like, dude, are you putting on a show? Are you, is that not real? No, it's really who I just, you know, really who I wanted to be. I really aspired to that. I really, and by, you know, and now I don't know where the, 
the character of Amberlynn that I developed and myself, I don't know where one begins and one ends, you know? So when I do meet someone, though I have like, oh, they are coming at me and I can see the look in their eyes. I know they know me from Amberlynn. I, you know, even though I, you know, I may have kind of like my own nuances or a different kind of set, whereas opposed to if you, if you're an, you know, an older person and you're coming up to the church and you're meeting me, I know that you don't know Amberlynn. We might like talk differently, but I'm still, I'm still the same person. So it is the reality for me. But there is something about being a lead singer and, and having that, you know, command of a crowd and you do it for so long. There's that, that is a learned skill. I'm not going to say like, I, I, you know, I already said the whole thing about how I'm the same dude, you know, in all facets of my life, but obviously you get more comfortable with talking in front of a crowd, you get, you know, performing and all that. And that does, um, you know, make you sort of somewhat of a leader in a way in society, you know, you know, like, like for example, like if you're, if you're at a movie theater and someone's talking, I'm going to say that you're, you or me are probably going to be the first person to say something because, you know, because, uh, whatever it is, that personality that you sort of acquire by doing what we do, it's a real thing. I totally agree, man. So I, totally I don't want to take up too much more of your time, but I do want to ask you about your podcast, uh, which is coming out uh, very shortly. Tell the people about it. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of it, that's my two-year-old daughter in the background yelling at me, and I love it. Hey, what's up, I buddy? love it, too. Um, so it's a, uh, yeah, it's a podcast basically called The Art Collective, and, and I always drew my inspiration from from life itself, like everything, like much like I'm sure you do, like friends, family, you know, relationships, but, but, but beyond that, like books, movies, you know, theater, uh, other musicians, other artists. And so my, the objective of the podcast is to really talk about musicians, about the influences, namely books, like authors, and then vice versa, you know, get a hold of authors and say, man, what, what books inspired you to, to, to write what, to, to, you know, are you listening to music right now? I mean, what music are you listening to? Did, did any of that have, give you any kind of sense of, uh, you know, of direction or kind of a theme for your book. So, you know, yeah, it was really cool, man. I just, I, I, I really, I love, I've always listened to podcasts from, from Radio Lab to, you know, Freakonomics to, to This American Life. I love it all. And so yeah. I just want to set out and make, I'm going to just try it myself. It seems a lot of, like a lot of fun. And right. uh, yeah, just, just well, I've I'm been, new. I'm new to podcasting too. And, um, I wanted to ask you how it is kind of being on the other side of the microphone. Uh, is that like a bit hard for you to interview people when you're used to being interviewed for so many years? It is, man. I'm so bad at it. I'm so bad at it. <laughs> I, you know, hey, I see, hope I'm not that bad at it, uh, but no, I'm trying yeah. my best. No, you're crushing it, man. <laughs> I, I'm just kind of, cause you know, I, I want to, you know, I want to, I want to dig deeper and I want to, you yeah. know, uh, go further, but I don't know how to like, yeah, you'll see. So hopefully I get better as the podcast. Hopefully I get better as the podcast go on. But right now I'm just like, what is your favorite color? <laughs> well, I think it's a great uh, podcast idea. And I, I got to admit, I've, you know, every book I read pretty much, I get to some point in the book when I'm just like, where does this person come up with these ideas? Like, where yeah. does this come from? This is genius. Yep, you know? I agree. And, and uh, that's something that I don't think a lot of people really ever tap into i can't really remember reading a lot of interviews with authors before and and kind of see what makes them tick so that's a a very very cool thing you're doing awesome man yeah well thank you so much uh yeah yeah, Uh, what's the podcast called so people can check it out after they listen to this one it is called the art collective 
Beautiful. The art collective. Yep, that's it, man. You can find us online and uh, yeah, just just yeah. Hey, what are you saying, baby? You want to say something? Yeah, bring her on. Yeah. Hey, what do you want to say? Come here. Oh, there is a lizard. Oh, and it's dead. Baby, don't touch. Yeah, that's a dead oh. lizard. Yep. Come oh, on. Oh, in Let's the desert. Back. Yeah. He's yeah. Uh, there's a. He's sleeping. She said. <laughs> yes, baby. Hey, he's sleeping, honey. Shh. Just sleeping. Go it's okay. That's awesome. <laughs> oh man, that's hilarious. Anyway. All right, Stephen. I'll let you get back to your family. Yeah, man. Uh, Thank great you. talking to you. Good yes, luck sir. with the new uh, Anchor and Braille record in January. Everyone, make sure you listen to that and uh, hope to see you around. I appreciate it, man. Thanks for your time. All right. Peace and love. Take care. Yes, sir. Bye. And there it is. My interview with Stephen Christian. The way he opened up was so incredible. Uh, it just, wow. Just, just amazing. Um, thank you again for tuning in. Uh, remember every Monday we'll have a new episode of this, uh, next week's going to be awesome again. Um, and please check out Twitter, check out Facebook, uh, Instagram. We're on there. Please check out leadsingersyndrome.com. And as is lead singer syndrome podcast tradition, I'm going to leave you with a tune. This is the former number one radio track Amberlin's the feel good drag. Enjoy. Have a great week. Now who's the greatest in your tribe I seem to invite? Tell me, darling.